This is Peter Franson from spiritblade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spiritblade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit spiritblade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spiritblade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 8. Everything suddenly clicked together in Rand's mind as he worked it through out loud. That's why they haven't told Atlantis that they're making the tree instead of looking for it. Yeah, Merrick nodded. Claudius might be greedy enough to not care if they're lying about their home planet, but if he knew what they really were, even he wouldn't cover that up. Merrick shook his head, almost sadly. The pompous glitchhead knows just enough about the truth to let himself be buried in lies. And the Shada have gone to great lengths to feed his imagination, Dirk added. They've set up an artificial excavation site deep underground on the western border of Iran. They've led Claudius Falcor to believe that the tree is there, awaiting his inspection. How much time do we have, Merrick said, standing. Not long, Dirk replied. Many of the volunteers have already arrived on the site in preparation for the experiment, and the RCF mainframe confirms Falcor's travel plans. Wait, Dirk, Rand joined Merrick on his feet. You still haven't explained something. The tree remains useless to the Shada. Sure, they can do irreparable harm to humanity, but what we know of the Fallen would indicate that destroying us would still not be their final aim. It isn't. At least, I don't believe so, Dirk stated. As angelic beings, the tree and its properties will have no effect on them. But examine this passage of the texts. Dirk vanished again, replaced by a page from the book. The Nephilim were on earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Sons of God? Angels? Ran asked. Why would angels not servants of Yesu? Dirk corrected. The Nephilim were born of fallen angels. They are demonic half-breeds with the power of both man and spirit creature. They dwell in both realms simultaneously, but, unlike man, possess experience and a complete understanding of the spirit plane. A series of strange images began filling the room. Men with the heads of bulls and other animals, giant lizards standing upright and speaking to one another. Dirk's narrative continued. Some believe that the Nephilim formed the basis for belief in the gods of ancient Greece and Egypt. Although this cannot be confirmed, it is undoubtedly possible for demons to likewise impregnate other animals on Earth, creating various kinds of Nephilim. These, in turn, may impregnate each other, further twisting the natural laws and creating monstrosities many times more powerful than man. What's this got to do with the tree? Merrick asked, trying himself to piece it together. Creating Nephilim, Dirk answered, is the only way they can make use of the immortality granted by the tree. Abducting so many humans would have caused too much alarm, but now they have thousands of volunteers from which they can clone millions of Nephilim, all granted physical immortality by the tree. A year from now, they will have gained physically destructive abilities they had never had access to before. The world will lie in ruins, humanity will be lost in the tides of destruction, and all that will remain is a twisted mockery of Yesu's creation. As they have always wanted, the fallen will be able to defy the sovereignty of the only. Merrick was aghast. Can they do that? Won't Yesu stop them? We don't know, Ran answered in defeat, but risked a glance at David. The boy saw the questioning plea in Ran's eyes, but unable to respond, looked away. Then we have to assume that the job is intended for us, Merrick resolved. What, just the three of us? Ran questioned. Four, Dirk responded. 
Hidden in the RCF systems, I can follow you anywhere in the world. And five once Vince gets back, Merrick finished. But the rest of the liberation, Rand protested. Is out there, somewhere, Merrick pointed to the window, but we don't have time to find them. Let them heal in preparation for whatever comes next, but for right now, we can only count on ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather not waste time recruiting while Atlantis is funding the apocalypse. David smiled to himself as he watched Merrick come alive. Another will lead them. Isaiah's words echoed softly as David remembered. And here, in this cluttered living block, hidden in a city full of millions, he was witnessing the rebirth, the second age of the liberation. All that remained was for their leader to believe in the cause he fought for. Rand began to see it as well. The first spark of Merrick's scythe. All right, Merrick. We're in. Merrick snapped into focus, wasting no time. Dirk, as soon as Vince returns, we need to be on our way to Eden. I should have little difficulty in establishing flight plans for the four of you, Dirk answered. I'll contact you once the schedule... Dirk was cut off by a torrent of gunfire ripping through the outside wall. Merrick instinctively dove to the ground. Terror delivered itself on the entire room in explosive staccato. Flashes of white multiplied around David, protecting him from the rain of death. Rand shouted something into a control panel on his wrist, but not quickly enough to avoid the magnetically propelled bullets from screaming through his right arm and torso, dropping him to the floor next to Merrick. Merrick looked in horror as he watched blood trickle from Rand's mouth. The look on the dying man's face was pure shock as he grunted in pain. Asu, he said I would, wouldn't, not yet. I don't understand. The remains of his tattered right arm fell away as Rand spasmed, issuing blood from his shoulder and chest. In another moment, Rand's eyes fell closed and he lay still. Merrick became petrified and lost all sense of his surroundings. It seemed the only sound in the world was that of his own heart beating, granting him a few more moments of life. The gunfire suddenly stopped, and Merrick heard the sound of a large metal weapon being dropped to the floor. Suddenly, he was wrenched from his place on the floor and yanked to his feet. Staring into his eyes defiantly amid the carnage it had created was the Shaden Hunter. Merrick hung helplessly, suspended by the demonic assassin's one-handed grip around his neck. Merrick's arms remained motionless at his side, unresponsive to commands. The demon's grip tightened slightly as he brought Merrick's face into his own. You should have given me the files. The demon's voice resonated with evil. Now they must be destroyed, along with all who have seen them. The figure's shrouded, dark visage seemed to evaluate Merrick for a moment before shaking its head. You've placed yourself in poor company, Mr. Vendarius. Atlantis is the only future left for this world, and you turned your back on them. They don't know what they're doing. Merrick managed through a clenched throat. They're going to destroy... Destroy, the demon countered. Merrick, had you stayed with us, you might have been reborn. With a deafening roar, wind blasted in from all directions. A mighty voice roared over the torrent, exploding from the 15-year-old boy that had just regained his footing. Rebirth is not theirs to give, child, nor freedom, but freedom is yours today, should you take it. David reached out his hand in a gesture to the hunter, his eyes spinning with emerald fire. I give you the truth. A glowing blue vapor issued from David's hand and poured into the Shaden. The demon's grip loosened immediately, and Merrick fell to the floor. As he took in air and regained focus, he watched as the demon hunter stumbled backward, looking suddenly small and frail. 
Its body seemed fragile and worn with pain. Its hands came up to guard itself against whatever visions it was being shown, but the effort was wasted. Only when the vapor dissipated did the Shaden regain itself enough to growl in rage, turn, and flee out through the window, an agile creature of the night once more. Merrick watched for only a moment to ensure the demon's departure, then glancing at Rand's body and quickly back to the boy, pleaded, "'You've got to fix him. You've got to bring him back!' The blazing green eyes only stared back at him. "'Don't play this mysterious ways crack with me!' Merrick shouted. "'I'm not one of your lackeys. You still have to prove yourself to me!' Merrick suddenly stepped inward with a finger in David's face. "'You want me to jump on the bandwagon, then spark up and do some raising from the dead?' "'I can't raise him from the dead, Merrick,' was the gentle reply. "'I knew it,' Merrick spat. "'You're full of crack, just like the rest of them.' "'Because Ran isn't dead yet,' the voice continued. "'However, he does need the nanomeds he was trying to access before. "'Help him, Merrick, and then be on your way. "'The blade will be yours soon.' The light faded from David's eyes, leaving the boy to take in his surroundings for the first time since the hunter arrived. "'What did I do?' he said as he looked around at the devastation. "'The Shaden did this,' Merrick answered as he crouched next to Ran. Scanning his tattered body, he found the panel on Ran's remaining arm. "'Nanomeds,' he spoke into it expectantly. Although nothing changed in appearance, Ran's bleeding suddenly came to a halt. A moment later, his chest began slowly moving again. He's breathing again, Merrick reported. Breathing again, David asked, puzzled. He joined Merrick and took in the grisly sight of Rand's body. Yesu, no. It's all right. I think he's going to be okay. But we've got to get him out of here. Merrick fished in his coat pocket and pulled out his RCF card, handing it to David. Go two floors down to the port and bring my cruiser up by the window. I'll get Rand ready to move. Where are we going? David asked. Merrick looked out through the newly shattered window. To the only friend I have left. Ebony returned from her bedroom to sit across from Merrick and David. He's resting now. Whatever he's got swimming around inside of him is doing its job, but he still needs proper medical attention. We can't take him to the hospital yet, Eb, Merrick said gravely. Not till this is over. I don't know, Merrick, Ebony shook her head doubtfully. This all sounds pretty glitched. Atlantis part of some plot to destroy the world? Sounds like a five-credit sim program. It's not, Ebony. It's real, Merrick insisted. I felt the same way you do, but in many ways, Atlantis is an unwitting accomplice in all this. They have no idea what the Shade of really are or what their final aim is. Falcor just sees an opportunity for profit, and like any good businessman would, he's fixed a death grip on it. What he doesn't really understand is that the death grip has been reversed. Before he knows it, he's going to wind up dead. Ebony quietly took a sip from the tea she had sitting out for herself on the coffee table, formulating her next question very sensitively. So, what was the name of this group you've joined again? I haven't joined them, Ebony, Merrick corrected. From the corner of his eyes, he saw David's eyes fall in disappointment. I just think they know what they're talking about. And what is that? Ebony asked. The world has been blinded, Ebony. Merrick surprised himself with the passion and confidence in his answer. Everyone claims to be spiritual, whatever the drack that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Nobody knows what God is like, or even if there is one. At some point, we all became so afraid of offending each other with our differing views that it became taboo to even discuss differences in belief. Merrick, this is crazy, Ebony interjected. You can't talk like this. Ebony, just listen, he interrupted. For years, scientists and scholars have endlessly debated differing theories. 
Like any debate, they either remain collected and mature or break into a verbal fistfight. But when the smoke clears, both sides have learned something about the opposing view, or at least about the person who holds it. Knowledge has grown, technology has advanced, and humanity has evolved and become stronger because of it. But when it comes to our knowledge of the spiritual world, humanity has become stagnant. For years, we've been stuck eating and regurgitating the same drack in an endless cycle, learning nothing new and forgetting all that we might have known. Ebony stared silently at the friend she no longer knew. Ebony, these men have taken up the search again, and they really know who God is. But do you, Merrick? Ebony asked point blank. Ebony, I've seen things you wouldn't believe. I've been in and out of a world we can't comprehend. No, Merrick, Ebony stopped him. I know you, well enough to see that you're not really buying into this, that something is holding you back. She leaned forward with sympathetic eyes and took one of his hands in her own. Merrick, that something is the truth. None of this is real. These men are fanatics, made delirious by a battle they invented for a cause that doesn't exist. Merrick threw her hand aside and jumped up from his seat. Don't you tell me about the truth. You've denied the concept your whole life. You all but called me a traitor when I even mentioned the idea. Suddenly, Ebony was on her feet as well. Maybe, but here's a little nugget of truth you should know about. After we spoke last, I decided to do a little homework in my dad's old journal. Christ, the cruel, vindictive god that he followed, he had a first name, she said bitterly. Yesu. What? Merrick exclaimed in addled confusion. That's who these guys follow, isn't it? She stated without asking. They've been filling your head with a load of drack. This religion of theirs is sick, Merrick. I've seen what it can do to people. Merrick began to mutter, lost in confusion. I I don't understand. Merrick, Ebony returned, bracing his shoulders with her hands, surprising Merrick with her strength. These men are terrorists. We've got to turn them in before they do any more harm. Merrick looked into her eyes, hoping to see some ulterior motive, something that could give him license to deny what she was saying. Once more, he tried to say something in response, but the words left him. Merrick, she said again. It's okay. I'll vouch for you. No one will condemn you for being fooled. Merrick felt the trickle of a tear, tracing a path down his cheek. He began to see an undeniable sense in her words. The important thing now is that we contact the authorities and see that these men don't hurt anyone else. She lifted her hand to wipe a tear from his face. As she did so, the sleeve of her left arm drifted down, exposing a horrible burn scar. Merrick saw the injury and immediately stepped back. His tears dried as he suddenly found himself on the defensive again. Where did you get that? he asked, pointing. Ebony seemed suddenly threatened by his insistence. Then, looking down at her scar, froze. The revelation came to him, even before he demanded again. Where did you get that? Now it was Ebony who seemed weak and defenseless. I... I don't know. I... David, get ran, Merrick commanded the boy, keeping his eyes locked on Ebony. We're getting out of here. What's wrong, Merrick? Ebony asked, frightened. Merrick only looked accusingly at the scar, and then back at Ebony. Merrick, I don't know where I got it. I, I really don't. She pleaded, the tears now glistening in her eyes. Things like this have been appearing since I signed up to be a volunteer. David scurried into the bedroom and tried to wake Ran, who only moaned a little before drifting off again. Suddenly, nearly every piece fell together in Merrick's mind. A volunteer for Atlantis? Ebony nodded sadly. What did they do to you? What did you sign up for? Merrick's eyes became sad. It's called the Eden Project. It's supposed to be the biggest medical breakthrough in history. She shook her head, realizing that her statement was the extent of her knowledge on the project. A few months ago, I was given a few simple injections. 
and from time to time since then, I'll wake up with some sore muscles or bruises. But the other day I went to the doctor. Her right hand, trembling, came up to cover her tear-streaked face. He found evidence that my shoulder, she struggled to finish, had been dislocated, Merrick finished. Ebony began to cry as she sat down again, helpless. Oh, glitch, Merrick swore, looking around nervously. We've got to get you out of here. With a hiss, Ebony's door slid open, and in walked two Atlantis troopers in heavy gear, followed by Claudius Falcor, who looked noticeably leaner than since Merrick had last seen him. We can't have you leaving yet, my boy, he said with a sadistic smile. You're scheduled for debriefing. Mr. Falcor, Ebony said in confusion as she wiped the tears from her eyes, what are you doing here? Ah, and you, my dear, are a prize, Falcor gestured in adoration. We can't have you leaving us either. Claudius produced a small audio playback unit and flicked a switch on it with his thumb. A guttural voice, coded in overtones, was played, speaking a short phrase in the Shaden language. Ebony's expression suddenly reverted to a blank stare. From somewhere on her person, she produced a metallic armband that she slapped over her wrist. A black liquid quickly seeped from the band and rushed over her entire body, finally solidifying into the obsidian garb of the Shaden Hunter. Merrick looked on in horror at what had become of his closest friend. He turned to Claudius, seething with anger. Falcor, you maniac! Do you realize what you're doing to her? Her body can't take the strain you've been putting her under. She's going to kill herself! Mr. Vendarius, the imposing businessman replied, oozing charm. You know about the project by now, so I won't mince words. If the human body is to be improved upon, we need some test subjects to show us what its current limits are. Now, of course, he assured, we could have tested only the most physically fit subjects, but what we really need to know are the limits of the common man and woman. By the time you're done testing, she'll be dead, Merrick shouted. Well, obviously, Falcor conceded. But I doubt that will bother the billions that benefit from her noble sacrifice. And of course you're included in those billions, Merrick added with contempt. Gentlemen, Claudius addressed the two troopers with him. Would you kindly prepare Mr. Galvanic for travel? The trooper to his left immediately moved into the bedroom. Merrick, I hope you'll come peacefully. Fritz you, Claudius, Merrick retorted. The remaining trooper armed his weapon and leveled it at Merrick's chest. Fire away, Claudius, you can't kill me. Merrick locked onto the businessman with an unblinking stare. Yes, I'm aware of that now. Falker smiled, pulling out a cigar and lighting it. But who said anything about killing you? An almost silent burst from the trooper's weapon signaled the release of a dart that embedded itself firmly in Merrick's chest. The drug pulsed through his veins, almost instantly rendering him unconscious. As the world became a blur, Merrick saw the other trooper dragging Rand's body out of the bedroom. He saw no sign of David, and he could only hope as he drifted away that Ebony would retain no memory of his presence. For close to three hours, Merrick's mind became lost in a drug-induced fever. Nightmare creatures clawed viciously at him in the darkness, tearing away all sense of security. He found himself running through a darkened tunnel that seemed to carry on forever. Spent of all his energy, Merrick braced himself on his knees for a moment and caught his breath. In that instant, the tunnel vanished, replaced by a beautiful green expanse. Rolling hills covered in grass and sweet-smelling flowers surrounded him in every direction. The sky was shimmering a blue he had never known, and a cool breeze tickled the back of his neck. For a moment, 
Merrick simply closed his eyes and took the refreshing air into his lungs, breathing deeply a tangible peace he'd been longing for since his ordeal began. Hi there, came the sound of a gentle voice behind him. He turned to see himself standing before him in a white suit, almost too brilliant to look at. As he looked on in shock, his reflection returned a gentle, understanding smile and gestured reassuringly. Don't be afraid. You're not crazy. Your mind is only doing you a favor, allowing you to see me in a form your consciousness can tolerate. To look on my true form would be more than you could bear. Who are you? Merrick asked in wonder. Your father? Your friend? His double smiled. I'd like to be your closest friend, but you seem to be running from me. No, no, I'm not, Merrick insisted. I'm just... I'm just confused. He dropped his head slightly and turned his eyes away from the being before him. I've been hearing some conflicting reports, and... For a moment, Merrick felt unsure of his next statement, but remembered whom he was talking to. And I just want to know the truth. The truth, his double exclaimed, as though Merrick had just solved the most difficult riddle. That's my specialty, he said, then amended, well, one of them. Have a seat, and let's talk for a bit. He gestured to a wooden bench that had suddenly materialized behind them. As Merrick eased into his seat, he paused for a moment, as though waiting for the other to pull the bench away from under him, but looking found a disarming smile that made him relax. Where would you like to begin? the other asked. Merrick breathed deeply and then exhaled slowly, collecting his thoughts. For what seemed like an eternity, he only stared at the ground in front of him. Through whatever means, he had finally gained an audience with the one being that could answer his every question. And now, he wasn't even sure where to begin. Finally, he settled on his first thought. How can I know you're real? He asked, then clarified as he saw his double smirk. I mean, how can I know this isn't all some dream brought on by the drugs in my system and everything before wasn't some big-budget hoax the Liberation pulled off? Well, his reflection replied... You won't like starting out with this answer, but you'll just have to take that on faith. Merrick smiled. You have to admit, that's a pretty tall order. I mean, look at the world. Nobody's buying into you anymore. Merrick, relax. He put a reassuring hand on Merrick's shoulder. Regardless of how things look now, I am in control. In the end, all who oppose me will be struck down. They'll acknowledge my sovereignty. They'll embrace me. He looked steadily into Merrick's eyes. Knowing me is being on the winning team. Besides, he smiled and leaned in as though confiding in Merrick. You'd be surprised how many followers I have. In fact, most follow me of their own accord, without even knowing it. Even those who don't know I exist. Really? Merrick asked, surprised at this new information. Really? His reflection continued. I have agents active all over the world. Even now. And not just my angels, but the many of you on Earth who serve me. He smiled sympathetically. All is not lost, Merrick. My army of souls will win this war for me. The other's eyes became suddenly distant and brooding. The enemy has been too powerful for too long. He's taken too much ground from me. He turned to Merrick with excitement. That all ends starting tonight, Merrick. Starting with you. Merrick was taken aback. Me? What am I supposed to do? You've been chosen, Merrick, the other insisted. You have a potential not seen on Earth since the ancient prophets. His eyes darkened but the enemy wants to use that. He wants to use you to further his agenda, just as he's used me as the scapegoat for every mistake he ever made. 
Merrick noticed a change taking place in his double's demeanor. His expression was now full of foreboding, and the once refreshing air turned slightly too cold. He's made the mistake this time, Merrick. He should have killed me thousands of years ago. He should have killed me before Eden. But the fools let me turn my fall from his graces into my victory over all his creation, and you're the key to the end of it all. Merrick shuddered as the veil was lifted from his eyes, and as he realized the truth of who it was he sat next to, he stood up and backed away from the creature now staring at him with vile lust. You're him, aren't you? The prince of the power of the air shook his head in disappointment. You only just realized that, he sighed. My dear boy, who did you think you were talking to? He studied Merrick's eyes as if looking for the answer he already knew. Oh! (laughs) He placed a hand on his chest in a mockery of humility. Well, thank you. I do try, he said with a smile. And before long, who knows? Merrick began to panic and looked around for some way to exit the twisted reality he'd become trapped in. Merrick, please, the demon said sarcastically. I've made arrangements to have your undivided attention for the time being. You can't go anywhere, so why not have a seat and hear me out? You're doing all this, Merrick realized. All of it, the the shade of the Eden Project, everything. It's all just some big game to you, isn't it? The greatest game in all the universe, the devil hissed, coming alive. He haunted Merrick with a twisted version of his own image. And the stakes are eternal. Winner take all. The blue sky suddenly turned gray. Ominous clouds rolled end over end, masking a storm of lightning hiding behind them. In a blast of wind, the endless green around them blew away into dust, and the hills eroded into plains, leaving a cracked desert landscape running into eternity in every direction. Merrick suddenly realized how hopeless the situation truly was. Stay on the winning team, Merrick, the demon invited. Merrick only took a step backward. Do as your father says, boy, he warned with a touch of menace. You're not my father, Merrick stated, an ounce of courage returning. Maybe not your earthly father, the devil replied, but as things sit now, you've got a lot more in common with me than with my enemy. What a load of drack, Merrick said, mixing anger in with fear. The demon pretended at surprise. You deny, then, that you have ever lied, hated, or lusted in your life? You've never been selfish, putting your desires above the desires of others? Don't be stupid, Merrick countered. Everyone's done something they're not proud of. Wrong, the demon fired back. The golden boy hasn't. My enemy's son made it all the way through life on Earth without doing a glitching thing to disappoint his paw. Suddenly, the prince stood directly in front of Merrick, who could feel his steaming, acrid breath on his face. And that's the comparison. That's the guy you've got to live up to. Nothing less than perfection is tolerated. Unless you trust Yesu, Merrick remembered out loud. Ooh, someone's been getting educated, the devil teased. But stop and use your brain for a second. Does it make any sense that someone that's been screwing up their whole life, selfishly pursuing fame and recognition, could just say, Okie dokie to God and everything will be alright? Where's the justice? Who's going to make up for all the times you screwed up? Who's going to get punished for all the times you hurt someone else? Merrick's heart sank in his chest. He'd never even considered what the demon was saying. When your time comes to die, you'll be as inadequate as everyone else and burn in hell for all eternity for something you have no control over. Merrick recoiled inside. But stick with me, Merrick. The prince raised his arms in victory. And we can win this war. 
After that, you won't have to answer to anybody or anything. Everyone will be able to do whatever they want. The demon was right, Merrick realized. Despite what had been said about this creature, despite how uncomfortable he made him feel, his cause was that of freedom. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Bjorn A. Lynn, unique tracks, and sound ideas. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. This is Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions. If you're one of those misfit Christians that likes sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comic books, then I'd love for you to hang out with me every week at the Spirit Blade Underground Podcast. Get some news and reviews on your favorite geeky subjects and join the conversation as we compare it all to the Bible. No suits, pews, or churchy language. I'm just a fanatical geek searching for the truth, and I'm hoping you'll join me. Find us on iTunes or go to spiritblade.net slash podcast. See you there, and in all things, seek the truth.